1: What keeps you from making your
0: dreams a reality? Are you scared of being criticized in public? And is it possible to fall into a trap chasing goals and achievements? Today, Amelia Rose Earhart returns to discuss her recent
1: successful round-the-world flight, and more importantly, the challenges she faced getting her dream off the ground. Welcome to The New Man. Today, we're talking with Amelia Rose Earhart. She's a passionate aviatrix, a speaker, a TV and radio reporter, and she's also the president of the Fly With Amelia Foundation, which I love this. It grants flight training scholarships to uh, young women. And uh, you can learn more about her by visiting flywithamelia.org. Amelia, thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me. Number two.
1: Number two. You're back. You're repeat guest, one of the few that we've had. Thank you. And you're in a cornfield.
2: I'm in the middle of Kearney, Nebraska right now, driving back from the world's largest aviation celebration at Oshkosh.
1: All right. And you're driving back, which is ironic, but um, uh, we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave a little mystery in here. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You recently finished retracing your namesake, the legendary Amelia Earhart. Uh, You retraced her path around the globe, and I was very happy that you actually finished it and you, you returned safely. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it was a year and a half Worth of work there, um, diligently planning a twenty eight thousand mile journey that took us through fourteen countries um, twenty eight thousand miles essentially around the equator so as big as you can go in a single engine airplane and eighty percent of that flight was over water and with over or with only one engine, you know that is that's a pretty big deal for a pilot and so I'm so proud you have finished
1: yeah, no shit <laughs> 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 well we're going to talk more about the flight, but I'm more interested in what led up to it because most of us don't follow our dreams. We don't do the things that you talk about a lot, and, and the things that you put out there about being adventurous and, and looking at life and from that perspective, we don't we don't do that because we we either we don't think we deserve to do it or we're afraid of what others might think. We're afraid of criticism. We're afraid of standing out. Um, and you got a real opportunity to deal with a lot of this stuff leading up to your flight. And then I also want to kind of cover what's been different for you afterwards. So. Um, let's just dive in. When when You dis- you decided to do this a little over a year and a half ago, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, being a pilot for 10 years now, I always had it in the back of my mind that a flight around the world was a goal to honor my namesake and to get other young women interested in flight. That's where my heart is. And the flight around the world was the biggest thing that I could do to just really blow it out of the water in terms of, you know, using the name to the best of my ability to get a lot of exposure around it and show people that there are still big adventures to be had. Gold can be attained, but we can also tie it back to history. But kind of as you alluded to, the flight almost didn't happen um, about, gosh, I would say a year ago. And that's because last year when I announced to the world uh, that I was about to fly around it, at that time I still believed that I was somehow distantly related to Amelia Earhart the first. And uh, the way it all came out was, essentially, i had hired a genealogist in college to help me figure out you know, how I was related to this person who I was named after, because it was always oral tradition in my family that we were. And when I went on the Today Show, and...
1: Which is in front of m- millions of people, all right? This is just yeah, like, okay, yeah. this is like you went on your Twitter and told a few few hundred, a few thousand people. Like, you went on the Today Show, and okay, go from there.
2: Yeah, we basically sat down on the white couch and, and told everybody what we were going to do. and. That afternoon, you know, and, and honestly, this hadn't really even crossed my mind that it would be that big of a deal because, you know, in my mind, I was distantly related to this woman and it didn't really matter exactly what the direct connection was. But reporters, journalists, people, you know, coming out of the woodwork from all over the world were saying, OK, cool, you're related. Show us exactly how. And I thought, well, OK, I've got the funds now because I was no longer a college student. And, you know, I'd been working in broadcast news for about eight years. I said, you know what, you're right. I should find out exactly where this connection lies. So I hired a genealogist to do the research for me. And uh, about two weeks later, he called me up and he said, Amelia, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you have no connection to the first Amelia Earhart. And it's just a coincidence that your family shows the last name. So you're a namesake and that's that. And for somebody who would base essentially their whole life around, you know, this very memorable name, full of potential for big adventures and inspiring young girls, you know, go and live their dream. I was floored. Um,
1: What did you feel like was taken away from you in that moment?
2: (laughs) My identity, I feel like was taken away because when you spend the first 30 years of your life believing something um, and you learn it's not true, kind of have to rebuild and you go, okay, what, what am I going to do from here on out? And I thought, Gosh, I'm not even worthy of doing this flight. I've told everybody my whole life I'm related based on a, a false claim from somebody else, which now in hindsight, I feel bad about that. You know, I should have done more research. I should have done more of the genealogical search earlier on so that I wouldn't have gotten so far. And so in deep with it, you know, especially with the around the world flight plan.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. And you and I had a conversation around that time. Things were things were pretty, pretty dark. Things were, there, there was a lot of, There was a lot of like a lot of people were saying bad shit like they they were just not being really I don't know. It's just like where the worst of people seems to come out. How did you handle that?
2: Yeah. Well, and just a a little bit of the backstory was, you know, working in broadcast news uh, for all those years, I had a pretty public presence around the flight. And so when I told everybody about this, it was it was in the newspapers. You know, the Today Show talked about it the following day and said, hey, you know, this girl found out she's not related. Do, Do we trust her? Do we believe her? You know, and for me, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the whole nation is questioning my credibility right now. And I was called a fraud and I was I was told that I wasn't uh, worthy of flying in honor of Amelia. And I thought, oh my! you know, like I I had done all this work for so many years, for 10 years leading up to this flight. I had already gathered literally hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sponsorships from aviation and aerospace leaders who said, we believe in you to do this flight around the world. We're behind you. And the biggest turning point for me was, I was talking to a friend, uh, you know, about giving up on the flight and saying, you know what, I'm just going to kind of slide away, do my own quiet thing for a while, and just disappear, postpone the flight. And he said, you know, when you were born and named Amelia Earhart, did the FAA walk up to you and hand you your pilot's license? Mm. And I said, no. And he said, well, then why throw away all that hard work? You did the hard work. Your name did not do it. And at that point, it was time for me to redefine what being Amelia Earhart meant mm. and luckily I was able to do that and I'm so glad that I did because now in hindsight if I would have believed all the negativity on social media and the newspapers and all that bs that was coming out about me I would have been curled up in a ball in a dark room for the rest of my life if I gave into that the terrible things that people said but now you know <laughs> the abundance of positivity so outweighs it I don't even pay attention to the negativity anymore.
1: And what helped you at that time? Because I think that's the thing that we're, that that we're so scared of is that oh I'm going to be in this place where I'll be attacked. What? How did? How did you deal with that at that time?
2: You know, at first I didn't. I I sat around, literally combing through and obsessing over every single comment, and I was giving so much credibility to complete strangers who I will never meet. Um, and I was reading those things, and I was almost seeking them out. So. I was just, I was feeding that side of my brain, which was, okay, there's one negative comment. If there's one, there's got to be 10 more. And sure enough, if you go looking hard enough for anything, you're going to find it. And what it took was friends, family members, and the people who know me best to say, if you give that kind of weight to the negative, you have to give that kind of weight to the positive. And when I started really thinking about that and seeking out more of the good, there were, you know, 10 times as many good comments coming out. But then I realized, why am I putting so much power on the opinions of everybody else? I know how to fly this plane. I know my route around the world. I know exactly what I want to do with this flight, which is basically getting girls out to the airport and flying airplanes themselves. And I thought, who cares what people are saying, good or bad? So now, you know, the positivity is overwhelming, but I don't even care about that anymore. The positive and the negative doesn't matter because I did it the goal is accomplished. And it's, it's hard to say that when you're in the midst of it, yeah. but once your goal is done, it doesn't matter.
1: So you just stuck with it, but you had to redefine who you were. You felt like you lost your identity in there. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, that you, you, you mentioned that, you know, wait a second, I was the one that, you know, got, they got my pilot's license. I'm the one that's been putting all this together. What was it for you that had you click, wait a second, this is for me. This isn't just because I'm somehow maybe distantly related to the legend.
2: I realized that for the first 30 years I had really been leaning heavily on that name. And it took, you know, getting that kickstand pulled out from under me to fall over and have to pick myself back up again and go, okay, who cares what your name is? It could be Mary Smith. And I would still need to do great things in order to satisfy myself. So I kind of ignored the name for a while. Um, you know, I would go to the grocery store and I would literally see, because working in local news, you get recognized occasionally, but I would see women especially look, look at me in the eye and then immediately avert their eyes, like almost embarrassed for me. And I thought, oh, my God, i got to get over this. This is bad. Mm. And once I finally, basically on social media is how I called it out. I said, look, here's what happened. Here's the full story. Honest truth. It's not pretty. It's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. And it really did because I got a lot of feedback around it. But I said, look, I'm not related. I'm still going to fly around the world. The feedback doesn't matter. And the best thing is, I had gone to all my partners and sponsors that were supporting the flight. And I said, here's what happened. And 100% of them still supported us. And that's the miraculous thing. Um, But the big shift came from planning the flight. You know, it it takes a lot of work, but I was almost treating it like like a very task oriented um, process. And I was trying to do a flight around the world. I was trying to, you know, fly planes, plan the route, fundraise, get everything organized. But when I finally decided to get out of that rut and start just being a pilot with a mission and a goal and and actually being it rather than just doing it, that's when the big shift took place because then it wasn't so much about checking the boxes and just getting the flight done. It was realizing that I have to live with this name for the rest of my life and I can either listen to the negativity or I can create my own version of this, which is now Amelia Rose, your who really doesn't get a care what, what the opinions are, because if you allow yourself to just, if your mind can be changed that easily back and forth, you're in a really weak place. But if you can get past that, you know, and I'm still developing that exact formula, <laughs> it's yeah. not easy. Yeah. And I still am definitely subject to it on, on a really regular basis. But, you know, if you can get past that, it opens up this whole new world of attacking your goals in a different way.
1: I have to say that I, I was much more inspired by you and what you were doing after that whole ordeal. And I talked to you about it. I told you why. But I, it was just that it was like like you said, you'd been kind of hiding behind it. And then, then that, once that was taken away, it was like, wow, here she is. Here, here's, here's, here's this young woman. Here's her dream. There's no more hiding behind all this other stuff. And I, I just something opened up so much more for me for you because it was really about you now. It wasn't about the previous Amelia. So I, I, I know that, that that was a really hard time to go through. But I, you know, for me, that's what something just really powerfully uh, shifted there. I think that was probably the most important thing about this whole ordeal was watching you rise out of that situation. Well,
2: thank you. And and I think about. The biggest the biggest joy in my life is now working with young girls, 16 to 18. They're learning how to fly. They're getting out, you know, using all that energy and enthusiasm that you have at that age to fly airplanes. And one of the biggest criticisms that I got before this, finding out about the name, was, well, of course you fly airplanes. Your name's Amelia Earhart. Like, what else are you going to do? It's right. got to be easy, of course. Well, now I've had that name essentially taken away from me, rebuilt it back up. And so now when I'm talking to these girls who... They come from bad families. They come from low-income households in some situations. They can't use those excuses as a crutch to say, well, I deserve this scholarship or I should have it easier because of this. I say, look, I have the identity taken away. I rebuilt it back up. So yes, you've had a lot taken away from you. I can help you rebuild that back up because they're kind of in the same boat. And granted, you know, the name thing is not as severe as a lot of these other problems that these girls are going through, but I do like to have it there, you know, in the back pocket as a way to connect with these kids, and
1: well, I, I want to put a put a yeah. I think there's a big thing there because we all carry some story, and either that story is going to empower us or it's gonna it's gonna disable us. And I think that um, what you're talking about there is you know that story can either it either empowered you or it disables you, and and what somebody says about their own. Personal or professional situation is either going to empower them or, or disable them. And so it's good to just for all of us to take a look at the story we like to tell about ourselves. Oh, poor me. Or shit, I'm, a, I'm the type of person that picks myself back up when things get tough.
2: Definitely. And I think you can get to a whole new state of flow once you just get rid of the excuses and the reasons why you should or should not fail. I mean, there could be a, re- a million reasons why you think you should fail and you pull a couple of them away. But if those are your crutches, that's gonna be the downfall of a big goal. And it's one thing to start a goal, and as we all know, it's a whole different to finish it. Yeah. And the feelings that are associated with that, I think that you know, people say, well, how do you do a big goal like that? How do you tackle it? How do you even start? You start by taking one goal and following it through to completion, whether it's big or small. Maybe it's a fitness goal, maybe it's a, a health goal, a business goal educational whatever it is any tiny little thing just bring it to fruition cut it off and start a new one now that i've flown around the world i mean it sounds cheesy but there's nothing i can't do
1: let's put this in perspective because i don't think i don't think a lot of people when they when we talk about a big goal people get on planes and fly around the world almost every day but to do what you did like what what kind of money It was a year and a half of, of, you know, how many people give us, just give us some kind of scale what we're talking about to do this project.
0: Um,
2: when I started the plan, I was basically living paycheck to paycheck, working in TV news, mind you. Um, you think that you would make enough to kind of have a little extra on the side to play with, but really not. So $0 in the bank account to pull off the flight. Um, it literally, if you put all the cost of the resources, the plane, the fuel, the time spent from the people involved in the project, it would be well over a million dollars to pull this off. Um, we had a team of about 100 people in the end, 21 corporate partners that came on. And a lot of people just see the stickers on the airplane. But behind each and every one of those stickers, uh, which is something you and I talked about, you know, kind of halfway through this plan when I had a breakdown and thought it was all going to fall apart. Yeah. But behind each one of those stickers is a relationship. And it is a connection with a person that decided to make this project a part of their day when they didn't have to, um, you know, and in the end, yes, all the partners got a lot of attention from the flight. It was, it was very visible, lots of national coverage, but the planning included visas for 14 different countries, um, overflight permits for the entire African continent, which costs several thousand dollars a piece and takes months to apply for um, fueling on the ground. You have to know which type of fuel flying through uh, the South Pacific The fuel gets shipped in from Fiji, and if there's bad weather or you know any problem that goes on, maybe they sell the fuel to the wrong person. You have no fuel to continue. I mean, as a pilot, we try to plan as much in advance and try to eliminate as many um, variables before we land, and those can all be accounted for. Um, When I went through Papua New Guinea, for instance, we landed uh, after flying for eight and a half hours. We we landed at Lay, and we were told that our customs agent thought we were supposed to go to a different airport. Um, We were unable to fly to the next airport and they kept us literally on the plane for four hours. So that meant, uh, you know, no bathroom break since about four in the morning until dark in Papua New Guinea, where we don't speak the same language. They're chewing betel nut and spitting uh, what essentially looks like blood all over the airplane. (laughs) I mean, I've got 10 men waiting outside a plane telling me that I can't go anywhere. I have no cell phone service. My sat phone isn't working. And you know, at that point, you've got to start problem solving. So yes, people fly around the world all the time. This is not like not going like through the TSA line at at the airport.
1: <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think it's just great to kind of put that into perspective. All those, all those things, all the logistics, all the little dots that need to be connected before you head out into some of these places that are, yeah, it's not not so easy to just roll up to the pump and get your gas or whatever you need to do. So. I don't even think I really understood that. When you first were talking about doing the trip, I I, I was like, okay. And you were like, yeah, I'm going to do it in a year and a half or something. I was like, why couldn't you do that this summer? Like, why is that a big deal? You know, my, you know, so I, I, even I was ignorant to, to all the things that were involved to do this. And I think that to kind of bring it back to the guy that's listening is when, when things get complex and things get big, I I know that when I, when I'm coaching some guys, there's a part of it's like, you know what, this is too big. This is too complex. I don't want to do this anymore. This is just too out of my league. Did you ever have any doubts when it started to get bigger and more complex? Like, wait a second, what am I doing here?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and there was a big factor of, am I competent enough to do this? Am I smart enough to do this? And that tore me down several times. Um, You know, there's always going to be difficult people on the teams that you're working with. um, And and I definitely ran into that um, on this flight. But in the end, you know, that's a part of every goal. And if it wasn't difficult, we wouldn't care about it. If it wasn't exceptional and extraordinary and you have to do exceptional and extraordinary things in order to get there, then it has no meaning and it has no value. So essentially the obstacles along the way were like the most beautiful part, but you don't see it until you're done and you're back at home in your own bed, laying there smiling and going, okay, I finally did it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, the, the day to day, like gut wrenching feeling of, nobody believes in me. There's too much to handle. I've got a full-time job. You know, how, why am I doing this? Why do I care about being different? Why do I want to do this thing that's bigger than just a day-to-day? I think it comes back down to, you know, the type of guys that are listening to your podcast. Like they have that primal yearning for something bigger and better. And if that's really who you are and what you're willing to cultivate, then the bigger goals, yeah, they're going to suck like 20% of the time but 80% of the time, you know, you're not paying attention because you're just doing it. You're just checking boxes and getting through it to get to the end of that goal. But the 20% is just so much heavier and more difficult than the rest, but it you know, in the moment, in the heat of it, it feels like it's all ending.
1: Yeah. And 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 what did you do for yourself to to get through that? I mean, what kind of things were you doing on a daily basis to stay at it?
2: So, one of the biggest um I guess we'll call it crisis that I had leading up to the flight was right at the end. Um, I really felt that one of my partners critical to the flight wanted to pull out and I had created this whole scenario in my mind because I felt for some reason I wasn't worthy of doing this. And I think it all went back to the story of learning about my name. It went back to, feeling like I wasn't doing enough for the project because we had a team of 100 people and everybody had such a strong goal. But in the end, it was time for me to focus on flying the plane. But, you know, I called you, Trip. we talked about it, and and your suggestion really brought it all home for me. You said, you know, connect to these people because these aren't companies that are are helping you work towards this goal. Yes, they're providing some financial assistance. They're providing an airplane, a fuel tank, um, routing assistance, et cetera but these were people I was working with. So the way that I tackled those feelings of inadequacy was to call up the people who I felt inadequate around and say, look, can we talk about where we are and really come face to face with how we feel about each other? And those conversations were incredibly uncomfortable. Um, One of them was terribly received and I didn't get anywhere with it, but in the end I realized that it was okay. And
1: Mm -hmm. it was
2: just an obstacle that I just had to sit with and be okay with. So your adventure and your goal is not going to be pretty the whole way through. Um,
1: yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong if it's not pretty the whole way through. I think that's, that's what I'm starting to get too, is that it's going to be difficult. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's wrong.
2: No, no, the difficult part is the story. I mean, I almost, it, it, now that I'm back and I, I finished the flight about two weeks ago, now that I'm back home, people are like, all right, tell me what happened, what went wrong, what, you know, what slowed you down, what problems did you have along the way? And, you know, The plant. The flight went so smoothly. Once we took off around the world, we had great weather. We didn't have any mechanical issues. No squawks on the airplane the whole time. I'm almost like wishing that we had some big story that was, you know, that made the the adventure way more juicy. So it's like nothing went wrong, and now my story is is almost less valuable. (laughs) If that makes any sense. (laughs) And you know, I don't. I didn't want anything deathly, you know, to go wrong or have some engine failure, but you know, maybe a storm to go around, maybe a weather delay, but there wasn't. So when you think about a big goal leading up to it, maybe you want a few weather delays. You want it through a few thunderstorms to kind of bounce you around a little bit because it makes the story more interesting in the end. At the time though, it's going to scare you to death.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm curious, like, what did you imagine the flight was going to be like? And then I'm hearing that it was kind of no big deal, but like in your mind, what were you building it up to be?
2: (laughs) I felt like I was going to be on this 18-day high of, you know, taking off on this monumental journey, like da 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 da. You're flying through the sky, and and for me, in the beginning, it was. I mean, when I lifted off in Oakland, I was definitely in this like super elevated state of mind of this is my big life goal, and once it's done, I'm going to be a different person, and I'm going to be I'm going to feel so much better about myself and feel like I've accomplished the thing. And I, I do feel like I accomplished a goal, but And the second I stepped, sat down in Oakland, it was like, okay, what's next? Like, what's, what's the next goal? So that's a trap we can get into, especially for those of us who take on the big goals, maybe starting a new business or getting a, a degree or, you know, any goal that has some, some real meat to it.
1: <laughs> you know, did you did you do, gonna, do you find yourself in a dip now? Because that that's pretty normal. Like when I work with guys, they'll they'll accomplish something, and then there's a little bit of a sag. There's a little bit of a dip after they after they get something done. Are, are you are you aware of any of that happening for you?
2: Yeah, a little bit. It's it's not like a sad or depressed dip. I'm definitely glad that it's over and I can, um, I guess, relax. I don't, I don't really remember what it is anymore. But when you when you get back home, it's like you almost feel bad if you have a normal day. And a normal day would be going to yoga, going to the grocery store, going to the post office. So once you do, a, once you do a flight on the world, you know everything else kind of seems a little mundane. But you have to teach yourself that it's just a, if if you're born a natural adventurer, a natural goal setter, you know, goal completer. Now you've got to learn how to keep that up and know that it's not always going to be met with fanfare. It's not always going to be met with that same sense of record setting, uh, accomplishment. You know, now I can say I'm the youngest woman to fly around the world in a single engine airplane, but that doesn't matter if I start a new goal. If I want to start a business, I'm still going to have that much work to do beyond to get to that point.
1: You still got and to pay for, you still done, have to pay for coffee at Starbucks, right?
2: Sometimes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what did you think was going to be different about you? Once I complete this, because sometimes we have these miraculous kind of thoughts in our heads and, and, and we think that we're going to be transformed and you've obviously been transformed by this. But what, what did you think was going to be different about you as a result of this flight?
2: <laughs> I can equate it to buying a new car. When you don't have the new car, you feel like the second you get in that, you know, sexy, red, shiny thing, you're going to be driving down the freeway and people are going to treat you differently. You know, I just thought that I would have this like shiny new appeal to me once I got done, and I would see that in the mirror. And when I look at myself now, I see a woman who has, you know, eyes that have seen a lot of different cultures, and you know, seen the sunrise around the entire globe for eighteen days straight from twenty-seven thousand feet. Um, There's definitely that, and I'm absolutely proud of my accomplishment. But it doesn't make anything else in my life easier from this point on. And I thought it would be. A little bit. I, I thought I would feel more complete, and I don't. I still have just as much of an itch to go out and do big things and to set new goals, bigger goals, flight-wise and non-flight-wise. I mean, it, now that this is done, it, just, it, it, almost makes, it almost sets the bar higher for the things that I do next, which is cool. I think, you know, if you are willing to do big things, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you more willing to get out and make your life even bigger
1: how would you know if this was a trap? Like the, the, it has to be bigger. It has to be better kind of thing.
2: (laughs) It would be a trap if I felt really sad right now, like it's over, no one's paying attention to me. And then immediately went out and told the world, I'm going to fly around the world, you know, upside down, backwards. (laughs) That would be a trap. When people are, I really, over the last week, I've been surrounded by literally thousands of people in the aviation community at this big event uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, AirVenture. And the number one question people are asking me is, so what's next?
1: Mm.
2: And for the first few days, I was having these really unsettled feelings when I would say, well, I'm going to run the foundation and I'm working on a book and a children's book and I'm going to do speaking engagements. And people are looking at me like, oh, that's kind of boring. And it really started thinking, like, oh, my gosh, do I have to set a new goal right away? And the answer is no. And I finally just said, look, I had my adventure. Now it's time for me to help other people have theirs. Uh-huh. And when I started saying that with more confidence and more, you know, assurity in my voice, people just went, oh, cool, I get it.
1: That is good. I, I'm glad to hear that. I, I would be a little worried if you're like, yeah, I'm glad I'm on the show because I want to tell you about the next thing, that you know, the next big, huge thing. But if, the, if, if it was just kind of empty, I'd be... um I don't know, I'd I'd be, I'd I'd have my questions and my doubts and and about what what was really driving you there. So, well, tell us a little bit about the foundation. You you mentioned it a little, you you talked about it a little bit earlier, but what is it that you do?
2: So the Flying Foundation is um, basically me Um, in my house saying I'm raising money to help girls go through flight school. Um, Right now, only 6% of pilots are women and that's got to change. In fact, you will love the story. I was in Geneva, Switzerland recently at a big aviation conference and we were doing a photo shoot in front of an aircraft. And this was going to go on the cover of some aviation magazine. And it was kind of a big crowd of people gathering around. Okay, who's the girl getting her pictures taken? And this gentleman walks up to me in front of the crowd, no joke, and says to me, excuse me, ma'am, would you like a pilot in your photo with you?
1: And, (laughs) And I
2: said excuse me? And he says, yeah, do you want a pilot in your photo with you next to this airplane? And I I just had to laugh and shake my head. And I said, sir, there is a pilot in my photo. And he was so shocked to hear that I actually knew how to fly the plane. So there's still this assumption that pilots should be men. Um, So we're trying to change that. I'm working on STEM curriculum for teachers to take into the classroom to get kids interested in flight at a really young age. Um, I'm about to launch a new business that's aviation related that I'm super stoked on. And that's something that I formulated a lot of when I was up in the air flying around the world. Um, you've got a, a lot of time to think up there. It was 108 hours of flight yeah. and the foundation is just just rocking right now. Uh, we've got 10 girls in flight school all across the country and they all took their Discovery flights this week and that means we've got 10 new girls flying that didn't have the resources before.
1: That's so. Cool. I have a huge smile on my face thinking about that. That's great. I, I want to come back to that. Do you find that... That there's a part of, like, if you're going to do something in this male world that you, that's got to be sexualized in some way. Like, I, I watch a woman that, uh, let's say she stars in a movie, but if she's going to be, if she's going to promote the movie, like somehow there's a, there's a photo shoot of her in her bathing suit or whatever. And I don't mind, I don't mind the, the, the bathing suit photo shoot, that kind of thing. But do you find that? In order, like, was that ever part of what was happening for you in this flight that there was, a, there was an expectation to kind of sexualize it a bit?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, we turned down several documentary opportunities and television opportunities because they wanted to turn it into the pretty girl with the pretty airplane. And that's fine to a certain extent. But when you, you know, when you're getting offers to pose in men's magazines, um, you know, next to an airplane, but you also want, want to run a foundation, you've got a problem. And so I really had to come to terms with what I was comfortable with, and I am comfortable with being a beautiful woman next to an airplane. I'm not comfortable with using that to gain garner attention for the flight or garner attention for the foundation. And I was recently listening to a speaker uh, at a Women in Aviation event, and she's a fighter pilot. She's an amazing woman, just overall. And she said something that was really beautiful to me. She said, "When you are on the airplane," You're not a male pilot. You're not a female pilot. You are a crew member. And I thought, well, that's amazing. And she also said, you do not have to compromise your femininity in order to be a pilot. You do have to make up for your femininity with extra skill. And I thought, that is perfect. That's a wonderful challenge for these girls I'm working with because I want them to feel beautiful. I want them to feel feminine and you know, feel like they don't have to be a tomboy to fly an airplane. But they also have that extra layer of, yes, I've got to be the absolute best pilot. I've got to know, you know, 10 times more than the guys because I'm a beautiful woman. And that's really fun because if you can be the whole package, I tell you what, you just carry yourself in a whole different way.
1: Well, I, I want to appreciate you for that because it is such a hard thing to do. We, we want to categorize people, even men. We want to put guys into boxes. They're either a jock or they're a brainiac or whatever. But a lot of guys are like, well, how do I. How do I how do I have a have a spine? How do I have balls? How do I have heart? Like we don't have a lot of role models for that. It's a lot easier to just kind of be this cowboy figure or the wimpy new age guy. Uh, It's harder to be this integrated person. And here you are doing something really extraordinary, especially in in a male dominated world. But also keeping your femininity and your sexuality. Like it's very apparent that you're a sexual person, but that doesn't get in the way of of whatever it is that you're doing. And and uh, and I it's a hard line to walk. And I, I really appreciate your ability to do that.
2: Well, thank you. And it is a hard line to walk, but I, I think there's a good gauge. You, you know when it's starting to take over. If you're getting more requests for your body than you are for your mind, then you've taken it too far. And, you know, if I can keep that 20, 80, I'm cool with that because I know that a lot of the reason why people paid attention to the flight because there was a woman in an airplane. I get that. But for the real people who said, I'm a goal setter. I want to use this to inspire my own adventures, my own goals. I'm looking at this as a whole package. And yes, an integrated person that can be more than one thing is really the ultimate goal to aspire to. And another thing is for men and women, anytime you can be a surprise to those who you're talking to, I think is a really satisfying way to present yourself. Like, for instance, if I walk into a crowd at a party, not, no, one, no one assumes I'm a pilot. Not one person. They, in fact, people at this event just last week, when I was standing next to the plane, they asked if I was you know, just one of the booth babes standing around trying to hand out pamphlets. Right. But if you can walk up to somebody and surprise them with what you're into, I think that is the ultimate compliment. Because the surprise is really what keeps people interested. And then they walk away going, gosh, I want to be more like that person. And maybe it starts them down a path that they never even imagined.
1: I like it. All right, where can we learn more about the uh, the foundation you've got and make a contribution to help other young women become pilots?
2: Well, thank you. Flywithamelia.org. Um, 100% of the proceeds go directly to flight training. Not paying myself with this, and that's going to be a, a lifelong goal for the foundation. Um, social media is my main format for, you know, just inspiring the girls, for inspiring adults and parents. So hashtag Flywithamelia. Um, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all there. And it's a huge priority, and that's the best way to talk to the youngsters about this, uh, you know, the aviation goals and any goal they have. It's, it's so easy to connect with them that way, and we've seen a lot of success with it.
1: Awesome. Amelia Rose Earhart, flywithamelia.org. Uh, Thanks for coming back. This is inspiring. This, there was a lot of good stuff in here. Thank you so much.
2: All right. Thank you, Chip.
1: If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.